Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Thank you, Stephanie, and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Connect workshop, Healthy Eating and Managing Weight Changes During Cancer Treatment. Um, today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations, and it really is because of that collaboration that we've been able to reach so many of you on the call today. Now, we have on the call today over 981 participants, and you come from all of the United States, and we have a number of international participants from other countries as well, and we have um, participation from Bangladesh and from Canada, from Colombia, Egypt, Kenya. Um, we have uh, participation from Korea, United Kingdom, and Venezuela. So you really come from all over the world, and it's a credit to you that you've chosen to spend the next hour with us. Um, and, um, you know, we're delighted with your participation today. Um, now, today's program has been made possible uh, by Helsin, and I really want to thank them for their support of this program today. And um, I also want to acknowledge that uh, um, we have wonderful speakers on our program today, and I want to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Stuart Fleischman. Dr. Fleischman is the founding director, Cancer Support, Cancer Supportive Services, Continuing Cancer Centers of New York, Accreditation Surveyor, American College of Surgeons, Commission on Cancer. And Dr. Fleischman um, has been charged to cover a number of topics um, for this program today. Um, he's going to address overview of cancer treatments, what causes treatment-related changes in weight, and um, impact on lean body mass and strength, and clinical trials. It's my pleasure now to turn the program over to Dr. Fleischman. Hi. Hello, everybody. It's good morning in some places, good afternoon in other places, but hello. Um, I am uh, asked to review some of the different issues that arise um, between nutrition and cancer. And at first glance, these would seem very simple. But when you scratch the surface more than a little, they're actually a little more complicated than that. Um, there is a lot of misinformation out there. Um, many people erroneously still believe that gaining or losing a lot of weight during cancer treatment is a failure of willpower or a moral failure and it is really anything but the nutritional state of anybody uh, who has cancer or get, getting cancer treatment from chemotherapy, radiation therapy, and surgery and combinations of all the above plus all of the hormonal and newer targeted treatments that are out there is intimately connected with the way the body digests foods and nutrients. And um, if we take a step back and, and look at the whole question in general, uh, poor nutrition can account for many of the problems that can come with cancer treatment, uh, the risk for infection, um, the changes in clotting ability in the blood, the blood being too thin or too thick because of the proteins that are, are involved in clotting the blood uh, come from good nutrition. So this is something that is eminently correctable. Um, and there are people around at uh, accredited cancer centers who have particular expertise in this, oncology nutritionists and dietitians trained in oncology, um, physical therapists who can help with some of the exercise or activity part of, the, of, the, of that component. Um, but it's there for the asking, and often we get so involved with our diagnostic tests and having to see so many doctors and going from here to there and getting, um, you know, getting the news about the diagnosis that we forget that um, good eating is essential. Um, and this is something that you can do. You can actually do this with guidance better than the staff can because we can't go home with you and have you um, set on the right path for uh, good nutrition, activity, and getting some good rest. So uh, this is something that is correctable from the beginning, which is why we'd like to bring up-to-date information to you. I often think of uh, nutrition as one of the legs of a three-legged stool. And you know what happens with three-legged stools. When one of the legs is faulty or loose, the stool is not stable. Um, and if you think about nutrition and activity and good rest and sleep, those are the three important components. 
we can really think about two basic problems with nutrition, gaining too much weight or losing too much weight. And I think people in each group think that they have it much harder than the people in the other group, but both of the, the, these groups need attention in the cancer treatment world. Um, the weight gain that can come with cancer is particularly problematic for women who are treated with any hormonal treatments for breast cancer and men who are treated for hormonal treatments with prostate cancer. Often uh, during our treatments, we reach for comfort food and we, are, we, we just think that anything that's going to make us feel better is the right thing to, um, to eat, but actually some of those foods can cause um, uh, inordinate weight gain and we need to be eating the proper foods. There are so many things that we can eat um, during that period that are both healthy and will help us control our weight and keep our muscle mass because the, um, it's not, you know, all, all, all parts of the body are as, as important here and preserving our muscle or our lean body mass is particularly important during the time of treatment. Um, so uh, weight gain for uh, patients who are involved in uh, hormonal treatments or treatments for breast and prostate cancer um, uh, is, is an issue and it can be handled right from the beginning and get good advice from the people at your cancer treatment center, um, especially if it's an accredited one where these services must be available either in, at the center or by referral in the community. The, the, Maybe more problematic one for uh, as many people is really weight loss, where it just seems that it's hard to keep weight on and it feels like your body's just falling apart from under you. Um, weight loss in cancer is very common. It's common in leukemia and lymphoma, but it is very common in solid tumors, particularly lung cancer, pancreatic cancer, or if you have um, cancer in the, anywhere in the, in the head and neck, in the mouth, in the esophagus, and you need to have a feeding tube, or if you have cancer in the colon or the rectum because evacuation becomes difficult. And weight loss is something that, um, again, can be corrected with good advice early on and, and proper direction. Um, and as I said before, this is not a moral failure. It's not a failure of willpower. But it is believed that in situations like having lung cancer that spread to the bone, let's say, that the body goes into sort of a hyperdrive and uses many, many calories, thousands of calories a day. There are different reports of 4,000, 6,000, 8,000 calories a day. That's an extraordinary amount of calories. And just think when we're healthy, uh, when we try to maintain our good caloric intake, um, getting that many calories in a day is a lot of work. It's a lot of work to shop and cook and clean um, and eat all of that, all of those calories. It is really, really hard to do. So getting the right ones at the right time is really, really important. And um, that's what we need to, uh, sort of the information we need to pass on. There are some uh, medications that can actually help stimulate appetite. There are a few substances that have been found in clinical trials to help redirect the calories towards muscle mass and improve lean body mass or muscle mass. These are small studies, but well done. Um, because of these are mostly over-the-counter substances, amino acids and some omega-3 fatty acids or fish oils, they don't seem to get as much attention as, um, you know, as other products we use in cancer treatment, but they are out there. These are known quantities and with direction they can be very helpful, but all need to be used under uh, medical and dietary supervision because um, they can interfere uh, with some parts of treatment and needs to be coordinated with treatment. Um, I just checked the clinical trials. Um, news uh, this morning and I went on to NCI.gov and I looked around for uh, trials in cancer-induced weight loss around the country and I, I didn't, I, I, you can't uh, survey the whole country, you have to put in zip codes, so I chose zip codes in a variety of areas around the United States and there was only one trial uh, for acupuncture in um, cancer-induced weight loss. Um, so there is a, a great need for much more understanding and research in this area. Um, it's not, there are very few investigators that are doing uh, studies in this, and it is, it is so vital. So I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave you with um, that sort of general overview. Uh, we're going to hear about other 
um, from the other presenters about the importance of both the, the of all the nutrition and the activity that we need to do in order to keep everything in balance. And then we'll have uh, time later for questions. So I'm going to leave it there. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Fleischman. That was very informative, excellent, and as always, and uh, thank you so much. And uh, I, I can't thank you enough for your presentation and starting this program off. And our next presenter is Dr. Douglas Peterson. Dr. Peterson is Professor of Oral Medicine, Department of Oral Health and Diagnostic Sciences, School of Dental Medicine, Chair, Program in Head and Neck Cancer and Oral Oncology, NIA Comprehensive Cancer Center, University of Connecticut Health Center. And Dr. Peterson is going to address care of your teeth and gums during treatment, coping with mouth sores and dry mouth, and communicating with your healthcare team. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Dr. Peterson. Thank you, Carolyn, for this very important opportunity to contribute. It's helpful to understand that not all cancer treatments cause mouth problems, either during or after the cancer therapy. If mouth problems should occur, however, they can very much affect your overall cancer treatment, including your ability to maintain optimal eating and nutrition, as well as your optimal weight, lean body mass and strength, and overall quality of life. So here are a few key points to consider. Certain types of chemotherapy, as, as well as head and neck radiation for head and neck cancer, can result in changes in the mouth. Now many of these mouth changes are temporary and typically resolve a few weeks or a few months after the cancer treatment ends. If you happen to be receiving cycles of chemotherapy over several months, the mouth complications can appear, then disappear, and then appear again in the next cycle. This is not unusual at all. Two key changes that some patients experience are mouth sores and dry mouth, and we'll be discussing these further in a, a few minutes. In some cases, with head and neck radiation, the mouth alterations can be permanent. Dry mouth can be an example of this type of condition. Now, having said all this, your oncology team is well positioned to help you with any changes you might experience. This, this management is very important since, as I mentioned just a minute ago, some mouth complications from cancer treatment can interfere with your eating and nutritional intake. This in turn can adversely impact your uh, optimal weight, your lean body mass and strength, and quality of life. Now the best approach for these mouth conditions is based on prevention before the cancer treatment begins, and then specific treatment of the mouth problem if one develops. So therefore, ongoing discussion with your cancer care team is very important, and I'll, I'll comment further on this aspect in, in a few minutes. Let's now discuss coping with mouth sores and dry mouth. Several types of chemotherapy as well as head and neck radiation for head and neck cancer can cause irritation to the lining tissues of the mouth. These are called mouth sores or mucositis. The sore mouth experience typically starts a few days after the cancer treatment begins and heals a few weeks after the cancer treatment ends. There are a number of very effective approaches to help the cancer patient before and when the mouth sores actually develop. These approaches can be customized for your specific type of cancer treatment based on discussion with your oncology team. Some of the approaches that we use are very simple, such as just keeping the mouth moist and clean using uh, basic non-medicated mouth rinses, say water or water and salt solutions that are rinsed and uh, spit out several times a day. If the mouth becomes sore, we have very effective pain medications that can be applied directly to the sore area in the mouth or given as a pill or by injection. The additional good news is that new medications are currently being tested in clinical trials with the goal of preventing mouth sores in cancer patients in the future. Hopefully the best of these new drugs, once they move through clinical trials, will become clinically available in the future as well. As far as dry mouth, uh, this is a condition that's typically caused by the effect of head and neck radiation on salivary glands. The salivary glands uh, in your mouth produce your saliva, which is commonly called spit. Dry mouth can cause uh, several difficulties, including in taste, in chewing, and swallowing and speaking. The dry mouth can also increase the risk of mouth infections, including dental cavities, 
which can lead to a condition called osteoradionecrosis. This is a problem, a complication of head and neck radiation and dry mouth that occurs in jaw bones and requires medical treatment. Having said all this, there are several simple treatments for dry mouth should it occur. These include sipping water or sugarless drinks frequently during the day, avoiding drinks containing caffeine such as coffee, tea, some sodas since caffeine can dry the mouth, not using tobacco or alcohol. These can also increase the mouth dryness. And then finally, avoiding spicy or salty foods that may irritate the mouth when it is dry. Now, in addition to these simple treatments, there are also medications that can be considered either to reduce the risk of dry mouth from developing in the beginning, uh, example, a drug called amophostine, or a drug to actually stimulate saliva if the mouth is dry. The product is called pilocarpine hydrochloride. These medication options can be discussed with your oncology team as well. It's also very important to take care of your teeth and your gums and your mouth if you have dry mouth every day when you're home. This includes applying fluoride at home and having your dental team apply it as well, keeping the teeth and gums clean every day, and having a diet that is low in sugar content. So there are, there are thus several successful approaches for management of both the mouth sores that we talked about as, as, as well as the dry mouth, and the best approach for you can be discussed with your cancer team. And this really leads me to my final comments on communicating with your healthcare team. A very, very important theme of this and all other cancer care workshops is centered in communication. Those of us who work with in partnership with cancer patients and their families absolutely depend upon you to tell us how you're feeling. We continuously strive to provide the very best cancer care possible. We are, we are truly in this together. Two very good questions to discuss with your oncology team before you start cancer treatment are, to what extent do you think I may develop any effects on the mouth from my cancer treatment? And are there any problems in my mouth that may complicate my cancer treatment? The answers to these questions can be discussed with your team, your oncology team, and goes a long way to preventing problems during your cancer treatment. So to summarize, not all cancer treatments develop mouth complications due to cancer treatment. Many of the mouth changes associated with cancer treatment can be prevented by working with your cancer team. If changes in your mouth do develop, however, it's very important to communicate your questions and concerns to your, your cancer team. This will very much help us help you maintain your optimal weight, your body mass, and quality of life throughout your, throughout your cancer treatment. And this kind of collaboration and partnership with Cancer Care can lead to very positive outcomes of your cancer treatment. I'd like to thank you all for your very kind attention, and I'll now turn the presentation back to Carolyn. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Peterson. That was really outstanding, really excellent, uh, lots of information for everyone, and I know there'll be questions uh, during the Q&A. Um, our next speaker is, uh, is Donna, Diana Bairdin. Diana, Banner is a, uh, Diana Bairdin is a supervisor of clinical nutrition, University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, and Ms. Bearden is going to address nutritional concerns, practical eating tips and um, recommendations, and weight management strategies. It's my pleasure now to turn the program over to Ms. Bearden. Thank you, Carolyn. Um, <clears throat> During treatment, the goal is, um, from a nutrition perspective, is to eat the most optimal diet um, for you as a patient while addressing some possible side effects that can arise um, as a side effect of the treatment um, or just the way that a patient may deal with stress and um, maybe gain some weight. So oftentimes um, patients will experience side effects such as a decrease in appetite, nausea and vomiting, changes in their taste, mouth sores, um, some GI distress, diarrhea, constipation. Um, some patients have um, sensitivities to temperature. Um, another possibility is an increase in appetite. So I'm going to start first with um, the patient who's struggling to maintain weight. Uh, when a patient isn't eating or has a decrease in their eating um, resulting in unintentional weight loss, uh, this can have a domino effect. 
Um, one of the big misconceptions that I hear oftentimes from patients is, you know, I have extra weight to lose. I'm really not worried about it. Um, you know, I've, I've been wanting to lose 50 pounds for, you know, the last three years and I've just never been able to get it off. Um, you know, you can be overweight and still be malnourished. A lot of times um, as a patient, you know, we don't think of that as a pa being a patient, but whenever you're not eating well and you're having this unintentional weight loss, um, one of the things that our body uses as an energy source is our muscle mass. And this is important because um, this muscle mass, this lean muscle mass, is what gives our body um, the ability to stand up, to do daily activities. And a lot of times when patients lose weight very quickly, they can feel that their muscles gone. They, they can't walk as far. They feel fatigued. And so it starts interfering with their quality of life. Um, as mentioned earlier, other impacts of um, unintentional weight loss um, can be the impact of your treatment. It can delay treatments in some um, instances, slow wound healing. Um, so it can have um, a significant impact on the patient. Um, we're, what we're looking for with patients is, like I said earlier, to find foods that you tolerate well and that we can have you maintain your weight during treatment. So if you are struggling with eating, here are some practical tips. One suggestion um, is to do small frequent meals. Now, a lot of times patients say they don't like to snack, and you don't have to make a big thing of it. It can just be um, keeping some nuts in, you know, your bag. Um, it doesn't have to be a full meal. It's just a matter of grazing throughout the day so that you don't feel overwhelmed at each mealtime. Um, drinking plenty of fluids. A lot of times dehydration can result in, not, in feeling nauseous, um, confused, tired, having a headache, things that may discourage you from eating. And um, focusing on nutrient-dense foods can be very helpful. Some suggestions are avocados, nuts and seeds, um, different nut butters, almond butter, um, cashew butter, um, cheese, um, boiled eggs, dried fruit. Those are different things that aren't only calorically dense, but they have health benefits, you know, healthy fats in them. They have nutrients in them that a lot of times we forget when we're going through treatment. Sometimes our friends and family with the best of intentions are making us cakes and cookies and telling us to eat all sorts of um, things that we normally wouldn't eat. But you can actually eat healthy and still have those high-calorie foods as well. So um, absolutely our weight maintenance is the goal, but a lot of times patients don't know that sometimes healthy foods are great calorie sources as well. And of course, being active. Um, activity can help with your appetite. It can help with digestion. So even simply walking, getting up and moving around is a, is a helpful tip. Um, now, if you are experiencing unintentional weight gain, which can happen, a lot of times, like mentioned earlier, from hormonal treatments, sometimes from steroids, people have um, these this increased appetite a lot. Um, and what we want to encourage patients, again, is a healthy weight. Um, you know, we want to reduce your risk of other comorbidities, and so that's part of the picture as well. We don't want you to survive cancer and then have other health problems such as diabetes and heart disease. So um, in order to accomplish this, Talk with your medical team, first off. Um, don't go on any crazy diets. Don't start doing anything over the counter of weight loss that isn't prescribed by your physician. There are a lot of times side effects from some of those um, products because of the ingredients that are in them and maybe how they're going to affect with you as an individual or you and your treatment. So what we can talk about as a team is lower calorie um, whole foods to eat, um, discussing meal patterns, you know, why are you eating, um, assessing your, your um, real hunger. Are you hungry? Are you bored? Are you tired? Are you anxious? And a lot of times, um, you know, getting away from the idea of food, going out, walking the dog, folding laundry, getting away from that mindset for just a few minutes, and then reassessing if you're hungry can be very helpful. Um, if you're drinking a lot of high-calorie beverages, doing um, more water, or actually cutting up fruit and putting it in your water um, can give it a nice natural flavor without some of the aftertaste of the artificial sweeteners. So you know, again, up and moving, getting um, some activity and can be very helpful. Um, having a friend, somebody that you can talk with just to help relieve some of that 
that the anxiety or stress that you might be going through that we typically will go to comfort foods for. Unfortunately, comfort foods are typically very high in calories, and um, when you're eating and you're not hungry, sometimes you're just looking for that experience. So it's just being mindful of why you're eating and, um, and then assessing, okay, if I'm hungry, I'm going to eat, and then recognizing when you're not hungry anymore to stop eating. Um, each person's an individual, so definitely continuing to be in touch with your healthcare team is very important. Um, I think I'm going to leave it with that, and Carolyn, I'm going to hand it back over to you. Oh, well, thank you so much, um, Diana. That was really excellent and very informative, and, uh, and, and I know there will be a lot of uh, questions for you during um, the Q&A as well. Thank you. And our next speaker is uh, Donna Wilson. And Ms. Wilson is a pulmonary clinical nurse specialist, fitness coordinator, integrative medicine center, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And Ms. Wilson is going to address the role of physical exercise and exercise and quality of life concerns. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Ms. Wilson. Hi there, everyone. Thank you for inviting me today. I'm talking about a subject that I'm very passionate about, um, and I work with all aspects of cancer patients preoperatively, during, and post. And I can't tell you enough that the most important thing I can always see change when people move. I think the most important thing is don't get intimidated by the name exercise or fitness. You want to keep moving. And I'm going to pose a couple of questions here to all of you and have you think as I'm speaking is how many of you actually exercise? And how often do you exercise? And do you consider yourself fit? Um, I think it's important how short a breath do you get when you go up a flight of stairs? Or um, can you only walk one or two blocks and you feel fatigued? I think the one thing I'd like to really stress here is that if I was going to give you, if I told you I had some like a magic pill and it could help you with um, weight loss, it could help reduce your type 2 diabetes. It could address your hypertension. Um, it could boost your immune system. It could decrease your anxiety, your self-image, improve flexibility, and boost your self-esteem. And you'd be very say, what is the pill? What is the pill? I want it. Well, the bottom line is it's exercise. It's keep moving. And when you exercise is really medicine. When you are sedentary and you can't move, we understand that during treatment. But there's always, I tell people to give themselves a diary. If you know that you're having, you know, the, the worst is chemotherapy. If you have chemotherapy on Monday, everybody is slightly different whether they get tired on Tuesday or Wednesday. Keep a diary. But on Thursday, if you have it, get yourself and motivate yourself. Have the friend come and take you out or just move in the house and walk around. Don't just sit down and become sedentary. Um, I've worked with enough people that were sedentary to the end of treatment and it takes a long time to get their muscle mass back. So we know all the research that's out there, very truthfully, we know it doesn't matter what you're going through, we know that exercise is safe. Um, I would say if I presented people from a surgical perspective, we're very, um, you say that after you, depending on what surgery you had, we would say take it easy for the first couple of weeks. Abdominal surgery, I don't do a lot of core work um, with them, meaning the abdominal muscles, for about six weeks. And then upper body, but you want to keep all joints moving, the hips and the shoulders especially. So the common side effects that you get from cancer are truthfully fatigue, pain, poor flexibility, chest tightness, muscular weakness, um, changes as we just spoke about, about the increased weight or decreased weight, the bo poor body image from that change in your body. And of course, then that it, it creates lots of the psychosocial issues. So I think that you know that if I said all those complications from cancer side effects, the exercise or movement is the key. Um, it's going to improve your sleep when you move, you're flexible, you feel better about yourself. And, I, and they really are coming up with that when you keep moving, believe it or not, it's probably the strongest predictor of how long you may live. 
I mean, we know that if you exercise before surgery, you have less post-operative complications. We know if you exercise during cancer treatment, you, your energy level is better. I know if you start exercising after treatment, then we can get you back, back to a better state of health. I provide many classes where I am, and I have many, many people on hormone therapy. And everybody thought, oh, I can't gain muscle mass because of hormone therapy. Well, I have to tell you, I have a class of men, and they're on hormone therapy, and they're all getting good and muscular and strong and feeling really, really good about themselves. So the key is when you keep moving, the immediate responses and the positive response is that it's just a natural medicine. It's just it can maintain your weight which way you want to go, and the more you exercise and you start feeling stronger and better, you're not so quick to go to that junk food again and to the, to the food that's going to increase the calories. You just work so hard, so you're going to eat something more healthy. Um, and it makes you happy. Um, if you don't exercise, we tend to, you know, have that more depressive attitude and we eat too much and drink too much. So I hope that this little discussion here today is trying to inspire you. There is no person that I know of in all my 12 years of working with people on exercise is that there's no one that can't move. Everybody can move. If you want to start doing some chair squats at home in the morning, when you take a walk, go when you're in the park, sit down, stand up and down from the chair five times and then continue to walk. Don't You want to increase a lot of exercise that incorporates all the large muscle groups, and that's all the leg muscles, the back muscles, the chest muscles. So again, I can't say it enough and strong enough, exercise, moving is medicine. Thank you so much, and I hope everybody gets out and takes a walk today. It's a beautiful day in New York. Thank you. Bye-bye. Oh, thank you, Donna. That was really fantastic, actually, when you think about it, um, that we can just move, and that will make such a big difference for all of us. Just keep moving. Such a wonderful tagline to our whole program today. I hope that everyone takes that to heart and, uh, and really keeps that in mind. So thank you. And our next uh, presenter is... Uh, uh, Sarah Kelly. Ms. Kelly is um, an oncology social worker. She's our older adult program coordinator at Cancer Care. And uh, Ms. Kelly is going to address um, psychosocial issues um, for people living with uh, uh, cancer, um, some of the free psychosocial services and programs offered by Cancer Care. Um, she will also address um, self-image concerns and tips and the role of support groups. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Ms. Kelly. Thank you, Dr. Messner, uh, and I'd like to thank everyone on the call. I think today has been a great call. We've got a lot of good information. So as Dr. Messner said, I'm an oncology social worker here at Cancer Care, and I work with many people who are diagnosed with cancer and their loved ones. Today we've been talking a lot about managing your care and really, at the end of the day, quality of life issues. And so I'd like to begin today by speaking about a topic, actually, that Ms. Wilson brought up concerning body image. Uh, and self-image. So each of us has a mental picture of uh, how we look, and that really is known as our self-image, uh, body image. You know, there are times in our lives we may not always like uh, what we're seeing, but we're used to it. Um, we know it. We know our self-image. When you're diagnosed with cancer, when you go through treatment for cancer, there are often physical changes, emotional changes that affect how you view yourself, that affects the self-image. And all of these changes, you know, whether they're big um, changes, small changes, whether others can see them or not, they really affect how you see yourself and how you're relating to others. So, you know, we've been talking today about those physical changes really around nutrition, um, exercise, weight gain or weight loss. This also includes things from, you know, hair loss, um, surgeries, physical change from surgeries, um, loss of um, organ, body parts, scarring. Uh, I think it was Dr. Fleischman that mentioned um, feeding tubes, if you need to have that, even something like fatigue or loss of energy. Um, that can cause you to give up some of the activities you once enjoyed, and that can also lead to changes um, with your body and then, of course, affecting your body image and self-image. So what do we do? How do we cope with this? Um, many of the presenters today have addressed this in one way or another. I think the biggest piece of this, and I love this, that Dr. Fleischman had said in the beginning that this is not a failure. This is really, this is not a failure. This is in many ways, a side effect of the treatment you're going through and of the diagnosis. 
give yourself time to adjust to it. You know, learning to sort of accept a cancer diagnosis treatment and the changes that go along with it, it takes time. It really takes time to adapt to a new way of feeling about yourself or how you look. So treat yourself, if you can, with compassion and with kindness. Build a network of friends and family who can support you and help you feel positive. Um, Ms. Bearden talked a little bit about this, about, you know, have a friend that you can go to, have a friend that you can talk to to help you and support you in this. Talking with others who are in a similar situation, whether that's a one-on-one conversation with another patient or participating in a support group, you know, talking with someone who is in a similar situation can provide, I think, a deeper understanding and also can give you hope in this and normalize some of it. Ask for help um, and accept help. And this is tough, especially when you're used to sort of doing everything on your own and being independent. But I think if you're able to do that, if you're able to ask for help and then accept that help, it can make a world of difference. And I believe everyone on the call today talked about letting the healthcare team know what's happening for you. Let them know your worries and concerns. Talk to them. You know, it can make a huge difference um, in terms of getting referrals, maybe for other services, tips on how you can manage and cope with some of these things. So definitely do that. Keep moving, uh, which is something that Ms. Wilson talked about, and that actually can help your emotional state. Um, There are a lot of studies done on exercise or movement activity in terms of that energy, helping with depression, helping with anxiety and stress. So if you can move, do that. And then asking for a referral to a counselor, social worker, psychologist, if you feel that that would help, uh, help you. I think the professional support helps you cope with and understand the different feelings that come along with the physical changes to your body. So in line with that, I'm going to just very briefly talk about cancer care services and what's available, Um, a little about who we are. We're a national nonprofit organization. We provide free professional support services to anyone affected by cancer. Our programs include individual counseling. We provide that face-to-face in the New York area and then over the phone nationally. We have support groups, uh, which we also provide face-to-face in New York. We do them on the phone nationally and also online nationally and internationally. We have education programs such as the one we're on today. We can provide you with practical help, assistance navigating the healthcare system, and we also have some limited financial assistance as well as chemotherapy copay assistance. All of our services are provided by licensed master's level oncology social workers. And as I said earlier, they're completely free of charge. And an oncology social worker really is trained in how a diagnosis of cancer affects a person and his or her family and friends. We're also trained to help cancer patients and their supports tackle the problems that accompany the disease. So um, today we're talking about uh, the nutrition side effects in terms of uh, weight loss, weight gain, and those changes in body image and self-image, social adjustment, the psychological impact and care of all of this. And I can consider finding ways of coping to all of this uh, a part of treatment. Finding that assistance, it's a huge part of the healing process, and I consider it to be a part of the treatment. Uh, As you know, cancer really affects the whole person, the entire support network. You know, you don't have to walk this path alone. I think that's really a take-home I'd like uh, for everyone on the call today. You can join a support group to be with others who are in a similar situation. Individual counseling really gives you a space that's yours to voice the concerns that are coming up for you. And I think these connections help lessen the isolation that many people with cancer uh, and their loved ones experience. If you're feeling well emotionally, it helps you better deal with the diagnosis and treatment. So if you are interested at all in any of our services, please contact us. You can reach us on our HOPE line, and that's 1-800-813-HOPE or 1-800-813-4673. I also encourage you to visit our website, which is www.cancercare.org. It's a very comprehensive website. You can find uh, so much information on there, not only on support, but actually on all of our programs, as well as uh, literature on coping and diagnosis and treatment. You know, we've learned a lot from today's program. There's a lot of information to sort of get your arms around in this. Know that we're here to help you. If you have questions uh, about any part of today's program, call us. You know, we're here to help you uh, look through this, work through this. You know, it's what we're here for. 
And remember, again, you don't have to do this alone. You do not have to walk the path alone. Cancer care services are here to help you. Thank you so much for your attention and the opportunity to talk today. Oh, thank you so much, Sarah. That was excellent. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. And uh, now we have time for questions, and we have a lot of time for questions. I'm going to ask um, our audience to uh, go ahead and queue up for questions. I want to take as many of your questions as possible. If we don't get your question uh, during this program today, um, please know that you can call our 800 number at 1-800-813-HOPE. And I will give that number out again um, at the end of our question and answer period. But for right now, let's see if we can take all of your questions right now. So I'm going to ask Stephanie to bring all of our speakers on board. And I'm going to also ask um, Stephanie to explain to all of you how to queue up and ask questions. I know some of you already started asking questions, so we've got some online already. But uh, here we go. Uh, Stephanie. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. Our first question comes from Mr. Emil S. Your line is open. Hi. Um, do you recommend going to a uh, dealing with a nutritionist for the diet and a trainer for physical exercise? Uh, also, um, one thing that you might want to mention is if you do normal housework or gardening is also a good way for exercise. And final thing, do you recommend over-the-counter remedies for uh, dry mouth, dry eye, um, dry skin? Excellent questions, Emil. Thank you. Good to have you on the call. Um, so uh, lots of questions to start with. And uh, so I'm going to ask, um, let's see if... Um, uh, let's see if Diana uh, can address yeah. the question first about the, um, if you could address those questions Nutrition. first. Yes. yes, Carolyn, absolutely. Um, I do actually recommend um, you to see a nutritionist that's actually um, working with your team. Only um, one of the main reasons is they're going to know your care and they're going to be talking with your team. And everyone's very individualized. Um, sometimes when you are working outside of that, group, they're not going to potentially appreciate all of the um, interventions you're being provided. And um, and so going um, to your team and, and talking with the dietitian on your team is is the best and I think safest way um, to get the, the nutritional guidance that you need for, for your um, particular situation. Okay, excellent. And um, Dr. Fleischman, do you want to comment on just the... Uh kinds of um, uh, activities in terms of house, um, household chores and things like that and as being part of the activity regimen for everyone? Right. Uh, I, I think that there's not a one-size-fits-all for anybody in these circumstances. It, there are so many variables. What kind of physical activity you've done before the cancer and before treatment? Um, how flexible are you? What are your particular needs about treatment um, as far as uh, surgical scars and drains and feeding tubes and uh, so many, uh, how, how, what your platelet count is so you don't bleed too much. Um, there are so many things that, as uh, was mentioned before about going to a dietitian or a nutritionist um, at your uh, cancer center or referred by your cancer center who's familiar with all of this, the same thing for physical therapy. Um, personal trainers are great. Um, but they may not have the expertise to understand exactly what you can and can't do in a physical therapist or a physical medicine or rehabilitation consult, sometimes called a physiatrist, can really help delineate that for a physical therapist or a trainer. So it's a good thing to get some direction from the people who understand the overlap between activity and cancer treatment first and then uh, do things that are thought to be helpful. And yes, gardening and household chores are wonderful ways to do it, but not for everybody all the time. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, okay. Um, and our next question, Stephanie. Our next question comes from Lynn L. Your line is open. Oh, hi. Um, thank you for the conference, and thanks for taking my call, my question. My question is, um, uh, I'm on a regimen now of um, Revlimid, three weeks on, one week off, and during that time, three days a week, I take uh, prednisone. And the prednisone really affects both, not only my mood and my perceptions of things, but also my cravings 
um, I find that, like, it's good for me to keep the weight on. I'm more on the thin side, and I lost um, muscle mass during my chemo treatment. So now I'm starting to exercise, but I, um, I crave sweets when I'm on it. And I can't even really taste the sweets very well. But it's like nothing, it's not satisfying. And I was wondering if you have any suggestions. Like I tried healthy kind of sweets, like the health food licorice. I eat the whole box. So it's like, like I, it's hard for me to control that part of the effect I, I, from the prednisone. Um, and it might be from the rev limit as well. Do you have any suggestions for that? Um, excellent questions. Um, Dr. Fleischman, could you begin by addressing those? I, I, I think speak to the dietitian or nutritionist that can be uh, referred by uh, your cancer center. These are great questions. There are uh, good things to eat. Portion control um, may be a part of the process as much as we all hate to hear that, uh, or spreading them out over the course of the day or changing the type of sweetener that you're using. There are a variety of, um, of nutritional supplements, sweeteners apart from sugar, uh, like xylitol, malitol, there's stevia. There are a whole bunch of things. So I, I would speak with someone locally and, and as a general guide, just try to change the type of sweeteners so that you're not always having the same thing, which means not a whole package of anything, even if it's really good for you, but a variety of different um, foods that have different sweeteners in it and get some individual um, attention to this because there's a lot of knowledge out there and people know what to uh, recommend as long as you get to a real expert. Thank you. And um, uh, Donna, do you want to comment? Diana, do you want to comment this as well? Yeah, um, so this does happen often um, where patients just crave sweets and they never feel completely satisfied. Um, and that's why I always, when I talk with patients, I, I want them to examine, are you hungry? Are you feeling anxious? So evaluate um, if you actually do have the hunger. If you do, um, try and have some sweeter, like, veggies and fruits in the house. And um, a lot of times that will just satisfy you, sometimes even eating something like a little bitter can help turn it so like a dark chocolate um, can satisfy that sweet tooth and kind of nip it in the bud. Um, another thing to consider is, you know, I sometimes patients get into this where um, they, they are gaining weight and so they go for like the sugar-free items to to um, not get the calories in. But the problem is um, sometimes the sugar-free stuff um, can, it can cause you to actually want to eat a little bit more because it stimulates um, the process that we've eaten something sweet and, and we start excreting insulin and things like that. And so we continue to be hungry. So um, absolutely looking at more of a, um, a different type of sweetener like a stevia, using it in moder uh, moderation and um, just like was mentioned just a minute ago, not eating too much of anything getting a little bit of something, stop, reevaluate, maybe go for a walk, get away from the food, um, that may help too. It's, it's a struggle and um, it, it's, it's very, very um, challenging. So this is, this is a, it's, it's a hard part of the treatment. Excellent. And um, these are excellent questions. Also, there are um, questions that have to do with just how we feel sometimes. And I wonder, Sarah, if you could comment on just how we sometimes feel about ourselves and in terms of just um, being able to kind of keep up with all of those different things that one, just how we feel emotionally sometimes. Um, so if you could comment on that as well. Absolutely. So, you know, I'll speak a little bit just especially to the feelings of anxiety, um, which I know that Ms. Bearden talked about. Are you feeling anxious? Are you feeling sad? You know, why, what is the reason behind the eating? Or is it that you're hungry? And really looking at those things, um, you know, we will seek out ways to comfort ourselves. And, you know, is there, has there been a, a habit in the past of eating for comfort or, or the opposite of not? And these are things you really want to tease out and look at. And if you find that you are maybe eating or not eating due to stress, uh, due to anxiety or due to sadness, you want to address it. You want to talk about it. And I definitely recommend, you know, working with your medical team on that, getting connected to an oncology social worker or therapist to talk about some of these issues and to find some better ways of coping with them. Excellent point. Um, this is really very, very important. These are such important issues. And our next question. 
Again, to ask a question, please press star then one on your touchtone telephone. And we actually have a question in terms of um, mouth stimulants, um, in terms of uh, can someone uh, give some recommendations about um, metallic taste in the mouth and back of throat? Um, Dr. Um, uh, Fleischman, can you comment? Yes. Oh, please. Thank you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, this is a common um, taste change that can happen with some treatments. And um, some recommendations you can try is switching over to using plastic utensils, um, remove drinking from a can or even um, having products from a can in general. Um, and I mean, when I say that, I'm thinking about, you know, canned foods or even if you're drinking a soda, use the plastic bottle one instead of the one in the can. Um, even down to the, the type of... Um, cookware you're using. That can be influential in um, bringing on some of those flavors. So you're just, you're much more um, heightened to taste the metal, um, even though it's there all the time, you're, you're picking it up more. Um, and so, you know, like again, switching to plastic utensils, not eating or drinking um, anything from a can rather than going to a bottle, and then um, evaluating your cookware. You may want to go to something that is enamel-coated. Um, that'll help with the flavor, um, or even using um, glass, like using Pyrex in the oven rather than using um, a cookie sheet or something like that, um, not using foil, those sorts of things that would typically um, have, have a metal consistency. Um, and Dr. Fleischman, do you want to comment on that as well? Yeah, I think those are all great suggestions. Um, I, I, I guess changing the taste of things sometimes can help. Some people with mouth sores find strong tastes of any kind irritating, but if that's not the problem, it's just that bad taste. There are a number of things you can do by making things a little spicier, a little sweeter, adding lemon that the nutritionists have taught me over the years that sound simplistic but really work well. As far as the metallic taste, that is a common thing that we hear on people on adriamycin, on um, taxanes, variety, platinums, variety of chemotherapies. Um, and it is you know, something that, that we all grapple with, and, and these taste things can really, really help. As far as the, you mentioned also stimulants for um, for saliva, there are a number of over-the-counter products that can uh, help. They're mostly uh, glycerin-based, almost like uh, cough drops. Uh, they have different types of sweeteners in it that can often stimulate saliva. Um, those, again, pass them by your cancer treatment team, your oncologist, your oncology nurse, and nutritionist may have some better ideas for you in particular. There are um, some prescription medicines, but like every other prescription medicine, use them under supervision. A pilocarpine is an old standard that um, has helped some people who have very bad dry mouth, but it can have an effect on heart rate, and it can go overboard and make you sweat all over. And if you're living in a place where that's not a good idea or you have some other heart problem uh, that may not be smart. So uh, speaking with your treatment team is really essential. Excellent. And I have a question um, for actually uh, for uh, Diana Burden. Is a diet higher in antioxidants preferred? Um, Diana? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, whenever you're going through treatment, um, we actually take a more conservative approach with that, and um, we we really just want you um, eating a diet, number one, that's tolerated based on the side effects you're going through. If you aren't having any side effects, then we encourage a plant-based diet. So if there's no other elements that you're experiencing, otherwise we'll have to you know, be a little bit more specific to your um, individual needs, renal function, that sort of thing. Um, and you don't want a, a diet high in antioxidants necessarily. You just want a very general diet, um, AICR guidelines, um, two-thirds of the plate from a plant-based food, and that includes your fruits and vegetables, your whole grains, your um, uh, nuts and seeds, um, and, uh, and then one-third of your plate, um, uh, fruits and vegetables, and then one-third of your plate, a lean protein. 
So um, we don't want you taking additional supplements um, or herbs and things like that unless it's directed by your physician. There are times when supplementation is necessary, but one of the kind of unknowns is the interaction between the antioxidants and the oxidative treatment that you're receiving. So um, you just definitely don't want to interfere with the outcomes um, that um, the treatment is potentially going to provide you by by taking high levels of antioxidants. So any supplements, vitamins, all of that needs to be cleared through your medical team. And as far as a diet goes, um, addressing side effects as they are for each individual and any other health concerns an individual has. But in general, um, a plant-based diet is what we encourage. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and um, we have another question from one of our uh, participants um, in terms of just um, the whole concept of, well, they actually agree with the whole concept of, um, um, I can't, with, uh, with Donna, I can't agree with you more about the philosophy of keep moving. Um, diet and exercise are so important. Um, and I wonder if each of our speakers could comment on just that, that concept of the importance of, of just um, diet and exercise and, and, and the concept of keep moving. So Dr. Fleischman, could you start with that? I think uh, that applies to probably most Americans and most, <laughs> most people. Uh, keep moving is, uh, is a, a good thing for most of us. And even those of us who have some physical limitations can move um, in many ways, even if you're in a, a chair or bed, you can still keep moving. So I think that's a, a good thing. It there are so many health problems that it can help um, uh, postpone even things like pneumonia and blood clots um, or just for a sense of well-being. So speak with your, your local treatment team and find out what you can do. I think it's a really good idea. I, I think the concept I mentioned earlier about uh, three basic components here um, as far as maintaining a good ideal body weight, not too high, not too low, um, activity and keep moving, and really effective sleep and rest that's restorative go hand in hand in getting you through your treatments and into a good period of survivorship afterwards. Excellent. And Diana, do you want to comment as well? Sure. Um, I just want to echo, you know, um, what was just mentioned about, you know, survivorship and prevention that, you know, we're looking at a, an overall health and um, it's normal for our body to move. That's, a, that's what our body was made to do. Um, our body functions um, on the foods that we feed it. So being cognizant of how the foods we eat and how they, what benefits they serve for us. Um, and then, you know, maintaining a healthy weight. And um, calorically, uh, that's something that a lot of people, that's what we get really stressed out about when we think about losing weight. It's, you know, I'm not going to get enough, I'm, I'm going to have to cut back on what I'm eating. But if we look at it from a health perspective, you know, eating a, a healthy, balanced diet, maintaining a healthy weight, um, it's in conjunction with the three stool, the three-legged stool that, that I love that example, um, sleep, diet, and exercise, because you have to have all of those to have a, an overall positive health outcome. So um, it's, it's an entire picture, not just one part. It's, it's the whole thing. And Sarah, from a psychosocial perspective, comments about just me moving in terms of the support groups and things like that that people comment about? Absolutely. So um, actually kind of in line with uh, what Ms. Bearden just said, that it really is about a whole picture and it is connected. Our minds, our bodies, they're connected and it is normal for our body to move. It's normal for us to really nurture our bodies and nurture our emotional health by uh, what we feed it. And also I think that when you are doing that or when you're not doing that, when you're not feeling so well, it has a huge effect. So being able to do that, acknowledging that it does have an effect on your emotional health can help. Excellent. Uh, well, actually, and I just want to comment that these type of programs give you information that really from a multidisciplinary team of experts, really people who come from many different perspectives and who actually offer you all the different components of what it is that um, is important in terms of just your maintaining 
um, your your healthy lifestyle really and um, healthy uh, nutrition throughout your experience with cancer and both during cancer treatment and as a survivor as well in terms of survivorship. So um, we hope that you found this program most helpful and that you will um, benefit from many of the things that you've heard today and we'll take them back to your treating healthcare team and we'll utilize them and consult with your treating team in terms of any questions or other questions you may have um, after the program ends today. Most importantly, we don't want anyone to think that you're alone in coping with cancer as our program concludes. We want you to know that you're part of this cancer care community and we're here to help you. And that means that we're here to help you in many different ways. And you certainly can contact our oncology social work staff here for any questions you may have. And you may contact us at 1-800-813-HOPE or visit our website at www.cancercare.org. Again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect, and everyone have a wonderful day.